Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck sticks? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking fucks? Oh, that kind of drove that into a ditch, didn't I? That didn't work out, did it? Huh? No, it did not. Today on the show, Justin McKinney. He's a comic that started a little bit after me uh, in Boston. Uh, He's got a new comedy special. Justin McKinney, Parentally Challenged. It's available on Amazon Prime and iTunes. You can go to justinmckinney.com. But I remember this guy because years ago, he used to be a cop. And years ago, he had one. He was with my first agent, Showbiz Talk. And he, you know, he had a couple of deals and he did some stuff and he, he was a cop. And, there, and she had another guy who was a transit cop. There was a couple of cops around doing comedy. But his story, I didn't know it, but I'd run into him up in uh, New Hampshire when I played up there and we talked for a while, and I thought it would be uh, interesting, and it is. So he's on the show. Also, wanted to tell you people in San Francisco, Sword of Trust, the movie that I've been talking ad nauseum about because I'm in it, and I think it's funny. Look, I do a lot of things, people, and you know, you, I think you know me by now. There are times where I won't plug myself. You know why? Because I forget. There's a theater there in the Castro called the... No, it's not in the Castro. That's the Castro Theater. The Roxy is just, I believe, if I... Let's see. Let's play this game. Does Mark have memories of San Francisco? I believe the Roxy is somewhere on 16th and Valencia in the Mission-ish. That's what I'm thinking. Can I get someone to check that, please? I'll wait. Oh, I guess I got to check. Hold on a second. Yep. Uh-huh. On Valencia. Yep. Six. I did it. My memory worked. Oh, my God. Play the music. Play the music. Memory's not so great. So that's on the 4th and 8th, August 4th and 8th at the Roxy Theater. There's only two screenings, and it's a nice little theater, and I'm just giving you the heads up to go. Getting a lot of good feedback for the movie. Uh, I'm proud of the movie. I think it's funny. And and it's not just me that's funny. The whole fucking thing is funny. And eventually I'll stop talking about it in this little phase of my life where everybody's excited and there's fancy reviews in uh, the New Yorker and the New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Trib, uh, Variety, just you know everybody raving about this thing. A month from now, I'll just feel like none of it ever happened. 
But for the time being, I would go see it. Glow. The third season of Glow, which I'm on. I play a role on that show. Glow drops August 9th. And you know what else happens August 9th? I am 20 years sober. Am I gloating? Maybe a little. Am I, do I have, am I humble about it? Not really. 20 fucking years. I, I, yeah, I did it. But it's not done day at a time. And I do, I do, in all honesty, I do get a lot of email from people who are struggling with this stuff. It is possible and life does get better. Look, I'm dealing with the end of the world fine. I don't have to drink over it. I, I'll, I can eat over it. I can jerk off over it. I'll jerk off all over the end of the world. All over it. Yeah, that's how I win. But, but I, don't, I don't have to drink over it. Okay? You got to do what you got to do. Intentional cognitive dissonance. Some people call it belief. Yet it's very difficult. It's very difficult to know what's going on. Hey, it's awfully hot. You know, I can barely breathe out here. That's all right. Things are okay. Just go to the gym. The intentional cognitive dissonance. There's something rich about that area of thought where you're aware of the horror, but yet you still have to have a life. So tonight... I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. Theoretically, I'm here, but I'm not really because this is like a day or two before. It's just the way this is going right now. But I can't tell you I'm excited because I'm renting a car in North Carolina and I got a thing for pottery. I think some of you know that. I just do. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an old hippie thing. Maybe it's a, a, an authenticity thing. Maybe it's just the, the sort of fundamentals of, of craftsmanship and the individuality of the process and the sort of ancient art of it all. But I like nice pottery or, or just practical pottery. I just like pots that are thrown by hand or mashed and made anyway. I just like p- ceramics. And somebody hit me to this area in north carolina called seagrove i know nothing about it but they were just sort of like you got to go to seagrove for pottery i did a little research it seems like a good deal of the handmade pottery coming out of the united states comes out of this area i don't know why i didn't do that kind of research i don't know if it's they they, the clay is good there or what but i'm gonna take a trip out there because i've got this dream folks i got a pottery dream i got a pottery vision I've got this large cabinet in my house that has a glass front to it. It's an old craftsman built in. And I think at one time it might have been used for China or fancy stuff. But in my vision, it's filled with all kinds of uniquely individual pieces of hand-thrown pottery. Cups, large bowls, maybe a stack of plates, maybe a pitcher or two that theoretically I would collect over a lifetime. But I don't know if that, I think it's a little late for that. Because I haven't been collecting pottery for a lifetime, but I'm going to buy a lifetime's worth of pottery in Seagrove, North Carolina. That's my plan. I don't even know what they have there. But I, in, my, in my dream, I'm going to go from place to place, maybe 97 places, 92, maybe, maybe 6, 12, 19, and I might go to a 20th, but I think I've got enough. I played that out, but I figure I can get a lifetime's worth of pottery and even make up a big lie about my experience accumulating it over a lifetime from one trip to Seagrove. So if you're a potter in Seagrove, let me know and I'll come by and check your shit out because I'm going to do that. I think I'm probably going to do it tomorrow, Friday. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've got some, I, I got some touching emails here. I got one. Uh, it, 
subject line, two of us. Hey, Mark, I just wanted to reach out to you with a story about my dad. Hopefully you have time to read this. I'll try to make it short. Don't worry, this isn't entirely random. It involves you too. He passed last winter and today would have been his birthday. A long time ago, in an administration far, far away, I started listening to WTF around episode 400-something. I enjoy the way you often approach interviews as a fan and try to figure out where the fuck people come from. Around this time, my father was getting older, and as a complication of diabetes, his vision started disappearing due to cataracts. Since the healthcare in this country was and still is pretty what the fuck, it took over a year to get him in for the most routine surgery in America so he could see again. During that time, he was getting pretty bummed out, not being able to drive, work, or anything, so I recommended this cool podcast I was listening to. He didn't know what a podcast was, but he did recognize your name. He'd always liked you as a comic. I got him set up, and he had enough peripheral vision to navigate the app and go on neighborhood walks. He really bit in, Mark. Within a week, he had subscribed and was chewing through the back catalog, telling me stories from episodes I had missed and spending the day walking around with you in in his head. His mood was massively improved by getting to engage with you and your guests. It was a perfect thing for him in that moment, and I got to share something I was really excited about and experience it together with him. Through the years, we geeked out about big celebrities like Obama and Julia Louis Dreyfus, and we would replay some of the, and he would replay some of the showcase songs on repeat. When I went through his phone one last time this winter, I saw he had also still been listening. He got to hear your interview with Sir Paul, who was one of his favorite people in the universe. Anyway, I miss my dad, but I thought it might brighten the world a little bit to remember a time when we all made each other happy. Thanks, Mark. Justin. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for sharing that because it's important. These are important things, you know, try, try to in, like, and this is coming from me and those of you who've been listening a long time, if you're old and your parents are still alive and they're really old and you're holding on to something, if it's not that bad, you know, get over it and, and try to, you know, appreciate the time they have left. That's all. This one's funny, a little dark, but I think I think Donald would appreciate it. Subject line, I didn't think you would ever come around. God, it makes me so mad what Donald is right about this sort of shit. Still, glad you did come around. If I was still alive, I'd love to be on the show. Cheers, the ghost of Walter Becker. <laughs> is that wrong? Come on. I think it's pretty funny. Okay, look, let's get on with it. I'll be in Raleigh tonight. Go to WTFpod.com slash tour. There's a lot of dates coming up. Austin, Houston, Dallas, Detroit, San Francisco, D.C., Atlanta, Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, Nashville, Philadelphia. A lot of stuff coming up. And I didn't even mention some. There's more. Look. All right. So Justin McKinney, as I said before, I knew him as a comic. He started a little bit after me, the generation after me in Boston. He was a cop. And it's, you know, it's, it's a unique story. And, uh, and, you know, I, I ran into him in New Hampshire when I did a gig there a couple of years ago and we decided we would do this and he was here and we did it. He's got a new comedy special 
called Justin McKinney, Parentally Challenged. You can get it on Amazon Prime, iTunes. You can go to his website at justinmckinney.com. And this is me talking to New Hampshire's own Justin McKinney. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. So, Justin, I uh, I noticed that you spell your name peculiarly. Why? What is that name, Justin, with an O? It's. I just um, noticed that today. When yeah, I, when I went to Google search, you, <laughs> you just noticed. Yeah, put in yeah. Justin like a regular spelling, normal. Yeah, and then it comes up just stone. Yeah, it's um, it's been a curse, and I've and I've talked about it on stage because it's such a curse, especially now with social media. Well, I got I'm Mark with a C. Yeah, People, I know, I know. But at I least know. if you say, and part of what I talk about is if you say Mark with a C, you know where the C goes, right? right. It goes at the end of your name. Sure, you go Justin with an O. They don't know where it is, so people go J O S T I, and like no one knows where the Just- O is supposed to go. Right. So I really have to say Justin, J-U-S-T-O-N. I have to spell the whole name out. What is the history of the Justin with an O? What, where does that come from? Do you from? want to, all honesty, I asked my dad about, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, because yeah. it's a huge pain in my ass. And he, he told me, he, this is a true story, he goes, because you were born just on time. Come on. He, I swear to God, that's what he tells me. My dad is like trying to be the funny guy. Right? Justin, and I literally, so on stage, I'll talk about it. I'll go, it could have been just in time. It's the same dumb joke. Like yeah. he got the joke wrong. Yeah. And he did that to me. And it's a, it's a, been a nightmare. I'm not even lying. Like if I say to people, oh, follow me on Instagram, if I don't tell you how to spell my name and you search Justin with an I, like you, on Instagram, the yeah. Instagram search will not find me. Right. So, no. It's not like someone's going to be like, you know what? I really got to find that guy. Let me right. try again. Right. People aren't going to try twice. Right. So it's become a little bit. I really believe social media. I would have fifty percent more followers if my name was spelled with an I. And we couldn't have foreseen these problems. No, he couldn't have. He couldn't have. And you know what the you worst don't part need is? More more? Uh, it's not like they didn't give you enough obstacles my, to deal with. <laughs> now you get now the name bites you in the ass. My dad texts me. But he'll spell it with an I. It drives me nuts. Because of the spell check. I don't know if it's because yes. of the spell check. Yeah? Of course. All right. What do you, you think, think it's correct? I don't know. It just feel, it just annoys me. No, of course like, it's a spell yeah. check. He just doesn't like it. It's hard on the texting when you want to correct spell check. It's a pain in the ass. Like, there, no, who uses the word ducking that much? Do you, you know, it's, right. When you put fucking in... <laughs> It's always going to correct the right. ducking, but it's like that. Right. No, no one. Why just put fucking? In. I think you can program your phone to use the words that you want, can't you? To learn it, I think so, but I don't know how to do that either. So yeah. I'm trying to figure out when, like, you're not my generation of Boston. You're like the one after me, right? Yeah, 
I started with um, like Bill Burr and Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. Gary Goldman. Those right. guys were all kind of down there, mid 90s. Okay. Yeah. Because I was there in 88. I started working. Uh, I came in second in the riot in 88. Yep. And you started working in 90 what? It was like the mid 90s. Really? Yeah. 90. I mean, the first time I ever went on stage. I forget was how old I am. The I'm early... just old. <laughs> I'm like an old guy now. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about Boston, and like I think it's a little different than when I when I started there, is that uh, there is a like uh, I don't know, if, it's not the word indigenous, but there is a regional comedy network business where guys who they never leave there. Yep, and it's always been that way. Now I'm not putting you in that category or saying that you chose to be that category, but it is a real thing that there was. I think it's really the only place like that where where you could go when i started and you could make a living doing comedy at one-nighters for for life it used to be so there were guys like you know that's how i started but i think it's the only part of the country where that really is the case you can live in boston and at the time there was like god knows maybe 100 150 one-nighters where you could go out and work work as a comic yeah i i think it's really hard to make a living now just doing the Boston scene. Yeah. Um, a lot of guys have second jobs. Like a lot really? of a lot of the headlines that are headlining the one nighters and stuff, a lot of them have second jobs. Um, uh-huh. I've been lucky to do I do theaters up in uh, the Portsmouth Music Hall where sure. I saw you yeah. that night in Portsmouth last. Like that's one that I do so I try to do some of those which make it uh, you know, work for me up there where I don't need another job, but it's right. but it's tough to do. It's not like it used to be. We you know, we joke that the money in the middle money back in the day was, yeah. was more than headliner money now. But there wasn't even middles when I was coming up in Boston. It was a two-man show. You'd yeah. go out with a guy that you'd have to drive usually or meet there, do a half hour, yeah. they'd do 45, and you're out. <laughs> yes. George McDonald will juggle angrily, and you're gone. George McDonald. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I used to love when he'd take out those balls because you knew he didn't want to take out those balls. <laughs> I didn't even know him. I didn't even know he did the balls. He does when he has to. He used to when he had to do forty-five. He'd do about thirty-five of material, and then he'd take that little bag out with the balls. And it wasn't even that spectacular juggling, but oh. it was just sort of like I got to close with the. Here come the balls. I've I've got a George McDonald story. Oh really? Um, nice guy, one of the greatest gr- guys. It, great guy. I was when I had just started. My dad and I and I didn't know we, we might have got into all this, but my dad was a homeless alcoholic for. Yeah, for we're going to get into that. Yeah. He was, you know, was the town, you know, I drunk, right? Yeah. He was the he was the drunk guy what in town? Uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, right. Living on the streets. So you've been there so you're still there. You stayed there. I was well yeah. So one night I'm just starting to do stand up. I'd only been in two or three yeah. years and there was a show in Portsmouth at this place. I was in the middle spot and George was headlining. Yeah. No balls? Uh, <laughs> I don't remember balls. All right. I don't but maybe this is why I didn't remember balls. So I do my 20 minutes, whatever I did, and I knew the everybody in the room. Yeah. I knew everybody came, you know, cuz I'm from there. And the show went okay. I get off stage while George is on. My dad, who weighs 140 pounds, long gray hair, gray beard, you know, really skinny, walks up on stage and tries to grab the mic out of George McDonald's hands. Shit face. Shit face. Yeah. Goes to grab the mic. The bouncers come up and grab my dad and drag him off. And George McDonald just looks right over and just says, huh, looks like Santa went on a binge this year. Huge laugh. Bigger than any laugh I got. Yeah. And I lit- and that was, but that was me starting stand-up. Did like you that. tell him it was your dad? They all knew it was my dad. Oh, because Because they town. knew me. They knew it was my dad. Like that was, but when you say George McDonald, it's like, that's your boom, memory. I immediately, that's immediately what I think of. And that line he came up with was great. And I, yeah. 
you know, I had to laugh, but I used to get annoyed, you know, that, you know, with my dad, that would annoy me. I'd always worry about that happening. That's, that, that's since I was a kid, high, that embarrassment. Highly annoying. It's, George McDowell used to host the open mic when I was in college at Stitches. It was called Comedy Hell. And he was the guy that a lot of us first started doing open mics with because he hosted one. And it was just a, it was just a nightmare of a show. He was great and always nice and supportive, but ran it was small audiences, and it was he called it comedy hell, and he would play it up. Yeah, that was the first place I was on stage. Stitches, it, the original one in the Paradise, uh, or the no, one in, the one near Fenway. Ugh, that place was terrible. <laughs> That one near Fenway, that was it used to be another place before that that was cursed. That that little block right there across from Fathers Two, it used to be a, a fucking horrible bar no one went into called the Ark, and you just walk by it. I lived there. I was in college here for four years. I never stepped foot in the fucking place. Like who goes in there? And then it becomes Stitches. Oh man, yeah. And he had to walk all the way in the back, and there was that back room. It seemed like it would be nice. But I'm telling you, there was something about that location. <laughs> yeah, so Portsmouth. I feel like there was a gig up there when I was coming up with that maybe uh, Robin Horton booked. What was the gig in Portsmouth? I, I know there was a gig there. I think you're thinking of, um, um, ah, man, I just had it in my head, the one in Portsmouth. Oh, the speakeasy. Yeah, It, it was a it. roller skating rink. That's it. They used to have a, gig, a one-nighter there? Yeah, that's what I, I actually saw uh, Joe Rogan there was opening for Vinny Favorito. Oh, my way God. Way back in the day. That's it. That was it. The yes, speakeasy. The speakeasy. Was it, was it called that? I, I don't think remember. It was a roller skating rink. Yeah, that was, but that and is And then such... they did comedy, I think, on the off nights, maybe? In the I... bar area? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, those were the gigs. They, like, you're yeah. saying that like it shouldn't even shock me, and it doesn't. Oh, yeah, it was a roller skating <laughs> rink. That's the point. That's it. And the weird thing is, I don't remember it being a roller skating rink. But I remember there was a gig up there. It's <laughs> yeah, fucked up. Yeah. But that was how we did it back then. So you start in Boston. So now, well, okay, let's get into the, because I don't know Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Is it Portsmouth? Portsmouth. 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 Yep. Yep. It's spelled Portsmouth though, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So I don't, it, like, I know New Hampshire and I, I and I know it from driving up there and it's pretty. But I remember, like, I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, there were a couple of cops you and Joe DeResta, right? John. John DeResta. John DeResta, yes. Was a Boston cop. He was a NYPD transit cop. Oh, he was a New, a New York uh, transit cop. Yes. Right, and he got a deal with my old agent, Ruth Ann Secunda. Who was my old agent. They, she was the one. You, she was the one that would get you the first deal, and then, then that was it. She changed my life and ruined my life. So you were time. so you were a cop. So you're growing up in Portsmouth. Like how? Like what's the situation? How many siblings you have? Three brothers. Really older? Uh, one younger, two older. Yeah. And uh, my dad. Yeah. And uh, my mom passed away when I was six. Oh really? Yeah. And when I, when I was living in Portsmouth, I was going to elementary school there. So wait, now your brothers are older? Two older, one younger. All right. So there's four of you, and your mom passed away. Mom passed away. What happened? Brain aneurysm. Oh my god. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Yep. Do, you, do you remember? Um, yeah, because uh, I was with her. Uh, she was volunteering at a school fair. It was one, you know, where they have the balloons, the tables, all the oh, you know, the games. God. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she just collapsed and uh, like started holding her head and was screaming. And yeah, I was right there. And it's it's oh. uh, yeah, they put her in the ambulance. Yeah, and, yeah. It was it. You know, two months ago, I went back to that elementary school. Just out of, I hadn't been back. Well, I hadn't been back since I left. I was there through fifth grade. Yeah. But I haven't been back since I've, you know, been an adult. And, you know, the weirdest thing is I go to see my mom's grave. Yeah. And from the grave site, the school's right there. Oh, my like, God. Like, when you see the grave, the school's right right there. So 
I just pulled into the school and I just walked. It hasn't changed. I just looked in the window like and like that's the spot. You know, really? and, I, and I haven't since I've my whole life is the first time I've gone back. Like, and it's right. In, it's it's in town though. It's right in town. It, it's it's just off town a little bit, but it's just the you know the lobby area. I just it was the doors were locked. I just right. went and I kind of looked in and like that was the area the tables were. That's where she fell. And oh, I don't know what God. drew me to that. I went to see her grave and I just saw the school and I'm like, oh, let me take a ride over. So yeah, really, yeah. That's that's so it's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and um, my dad, you know, was left with, you know, the four kids, you yeah. know what I mean? At the, what did he do? That generation. He had a, a telephone answering service yeah. at the time, which was, you know, before pagers and cell phones, you know, the old switchboard kind. Sure, sure. So like um, if a doc was on call or something. Yeah, like yep, yep. After hours. Yep. He ran that and he was big into, he was buying real estate. You know, in, he was in a, Portsmouth. Yeah, he owned a bunch of. Uh, at one time, he owned a bunch of properties. I yeah, mean, if he could have held it together, yeah. it would have been worth a lot of money. What um, happened to the properties? Um, he just lost them all oh. through you know not managing it, not paying taxes. I mean, he lost the house I lived in. Oh. You know what I mean? Eventually, so it just went. You know. Well, when uh, so, all right. So you guys are doing okay for a while. Well, um, my aunt moves in. My Your mom's, mom's sister. sister ends up with my dad like they ended up in a relationship it, from the get-go or just like she stepped in to help the kids she stepped and in it... to help and, and you know and she definitely kept things together right the glue you know to make sure we had power and, yeah you know like you know right. electricity and water and all that stuff um and they ended up in a relationship yeah uh-huh. and how old were you when you knew that was happening um i was probably like eight Eight, did nine it just seem old? natural or was it weird? Or It was definitely weird. I mean, th- I was aware that I was living a little bit different than my friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the same. Did they get married? They never got married. No. It, but it just sort of happened. It just happened and what my, you... my dad drank and she drank and they, the fighting. It, always so, I, that, drinking was always part Drinking of it. was something and I used to joke that, you know, having two you know, alcoholics is like yeah. having two dogs. They keep each other company. Right. A lot of times they were fighting. So they're, they're actually given away together when you go <laughs> pick them up at the shelter. Yeah. yeah if you're going to take the man, you got to take his wife. Yeah. Cause they, they belong together. <laughs> That's right. You want two of them. Yeah. You got to have two you in want, the house. Trust so. me. You're going to want two of them. One yeah. alcoholic, no good. No good because yeah. it'll drain the whole family. Yeah. Two, they beat the shit out yeah. of each other and it works out. Yeah. They distracted. You, yeah. You'll, you'll thank us. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so they're they're that's going on right away. Your dad was always boozy. I remember it from from the time I can remember. Yes, I believe that losing his wife, she was twenty nine years old, oh um, having God. the four kids. I mean, I, I mean, I believe that didn't help. Right, that probably. So he was this know, a Catholic situation? No, just just they just kept coming. The kids. Yeah, it yeah. was just they did. You know, in. I don't know this, but I had heard that, you know, uh, birth control might have been what caused, you know, the dose that's one of the side effects is blood aneurysm. Oh, okay. yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. back then it was like the dose and I think maybe, really, I, I think, I mean, I remember hearing that huh. at one point. So, that's possible, so I think they I wanted, I, th- I think four was enough. I think it was smoking and birth control pills. Like, you know, did she smoke? She did. Mm. Yeah. I think she did. I think that I, I, I but you know, yeah. we could research this, but there's no time. Now. No, but I mean, it, I mean it, it, that sort of sticks in my head that if you smoked on certain birth control at that, what? Uh, well, either way, it's sad. So your dad, he's broken up about it, and 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 the drinking got worse right away. Or was it always kind of there? What? It was. Uh, it was there. It's like you know, I could remember you know every night. Um, you know, he'd sit and sip out of a little shot glass in the dark, oh, like right. kind of by himself. One you know, of that those kind guys. Of, no. Listen to the police scanner. 
uh, very paranoid. You know, really? listen to the police scanner. For yeah. what? Well, that they were coming to get he him? He would get in trouble a lot. Yeah, my dad had From, a but, history. Wait, but, didn't um, he, but wasn't he, when did the business start to, when did it all start to fall apart? I mean, I mean, you were six and things had, were okay, right? He had, yeah, I think, but I think there was drinking then too. Sure. I don't, from what I'd heard, like, yeah. I think it was still there. But yes, things definitely started to go off the rails after that. The business uh-huh. was, I don't know what how well the business did. After fifth grade, we moved right over the bridge into Kittery, Maine, yeah. right after elementary school. Yeah. So I just moved over there. So I would have been sixth or seventh grade. He got mad at the bank for uh, not giving him a loan or something. Yeah. So he r- went down there in the middle of the day and yeah. threw a brick through the front window of the bank. Hmm. So it's like that kind of stuff, like through my childhood, there's always worried that what was he going to do to embarrass me? Like there was that I lived with a lot. Like I didn't want my anyone at school or friends to know. And true story, my friend Alan lived across the street from the bank and he called me up and like saw it happen. He goes, is your dad home? And I'm like, he goes, I think I just saw him throw a brick through the bank in his underwear. He says, and, and. I, and I literally, and the joke part of me, it goes to, yeah, he said he had some errands to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? You said he had right. some errands to run. But he was, but the, the cops would come to the house. They would look for them. One time they had to raise the drawbridge because it was the, over the river, like so that he wouldn't like escape to the, so there was a lot of that uh, growing up. That so he would sit and drink alone, listening to the police scanner to see if they were coming to get him. I believe so. And and he would go up, if he heard, thought he heard his name, he would go out in the back up in the woods. Like I remember that happening. Really? So there was, yes. And let me... Let me just say he he's been sober for 11 years now i gave him his chip his 10-year chip i just want to say that now so yeah you know i mean he's so you know so if any anyone's pro- listening going you know i i, I mean you can say it's possible to recover <laughs> i mean he was we thought he was going to die on the streets there's no doubt about it so after i got out of high school he lost the house and all that and left my aunt i mean i think he did he, he ever do jail time Oh, he went to jail a lot. Yeah, like just like a lot of overnights, protective custody, and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, oh, you drinking and driving. He was arrested for drunk driving at eight in the morning while on his way to court for drunk driving. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that kind of stuff. I just, I was just hiking this morning and I was coming down the mountain. This is at eight o'clock in the morning and I saw two dudes. One of them had a big thing of water. The other one had a six pack and they were hiking up the, ma- the mountain at eight in the morning. And I thought like, well, you know, at least they're not driving. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. If you're gonna, if yes. you're gonna morning drink, yeah, make a make a day, make a yeah, take a hike. Yeah, I mean, my dad's lucky he didn't kill anybody, and that was a huge sure. fear mm. as a kid. We're talking drinking. I mean, he would have a screwdriver in the cup holder, like in drive. With right. the, I mean, you know, back in the right, right. back then, they drinking and drive. They would actually drink and drive. Right. I mean, they weren't even not they were just drunk. They're drinking while they're driving. Sure. So that was just. Yeah. So, so when you graduate high school, then the the, the relationship with your aunt falls apart, and what? And yeah. Then, and once all the kids grew up, he lost the house. He didn't pay the taxes. It was boarded up for a while. It was literally um, a bunch of I'd say derelicts or homeless people all living in there with like, him, doing drugs and drinking. Was he, was he there? He too? was still there. Yep. And it was uh, there was a fire like in one of the bedrooms, and they just took. We had this pool that was in the back that hadn't been open for years, yeah. and they would scoop water up with buckets and put the fire out themselves. Never called the fire department. It was and a your really, dad was still living there. He was still there at the time. This is when he was going definitely downhill, on his way to homelessness. This is when he was so. But but this is a small town, like you said, right? So you know he's notorious. I mean, they you know the guy they love him, and everybody loves him. Really, all the town all loves him. You, you know, people would bump into me. Your dad's the best. You know, your dad's. A-. And in the back of my head, there's a little part of me going, yeah, you know, I I love my dad, and my yeah. dad is my biggest fan in the world. So, now, uh, yes, and yeah. he all I think he always was the uh, right. fan. But it's just it was just a, it's a disease, mm-hmm. and I you know and I I try to look at what he. 
you know, the four kids and being left with that and that kind of triggered it. And then this all goes, but did everybody turn out all right? I mean, how did, it, uh, how many? Yeah, I think uh, we, I think we're doing good. Yeah. yeah. I think we're doing good. Yeah. And you never got the good. bug. I no, And I, I, uh, I drink socially. You, know, you, were, you went, did you go the other way? Did you go the control freak path? I, <laughs> I went the other way in the sense I became a cop, <laughs> you know? Oh God! I mean, he didn't like cops, and part of the reason that made me <laughs> such a good cop right. was because I treated when I and I did it in my interview when I, when they, I got hired at nineteen, by the way, to do I to think be a the cop. youngest cop I think they'd ever hired up there, and I was really mature for my I I in, I, in the interview. Well, I you got to be when you're you're living in chaos. I you yeah. got to you got to go pick your dad up at the fucking jail. I had to, uh, I, it was, it was, it was, I just, I remember saying to them that, you know, I treat everybody like you're my dad and my whole, and my whole family, by the way, have all run with cops. But anyway, like you're my oh, yeah? dad and you don't like cops, how I want to change your mind. Like that was really how I went about it. I never had that big badge, the power, never had that. I was always deescalating. Now, mind you, it was in rural Maine. There were two of us for 500 square miles. So you had no backup. But, so but, when you have no backup, you learn to deescalate. You know, you didn't, you know. But also I'd imagine that yeah, most of those calls are domestic issues, right? Yeah, a lot of domestic issues. And you know, my dad would fight with the police. Like he, he, we saw him get pepper sprayed. I mean, right in our living room. I mean, this kind of stuff. So when I could remember going to domestics thinking, this guy's going to attack me. Yeah. And then very few people do attack you. It's very rare. Like, I thought that was the norm. At least one of them's because... grateful you showed up, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you know, to de-escalate. They probably wanted to de-escalate, I would think, a lot of times. A lot of times, yeah. But but what's the impulse? I mean, do you remember when you decided to be a cop? Like, I mean... I do. What, what, um, what, what drove that? Well, I definitely... Um, Chips was like my favorite, one of my favorite shows growing up, Chips. Sure. And I had such an ethical um, mind that I used to not like paunch because he used to flirt. Mm. And I used to think that was like, yeah, you know, he's a cop. You know, I like John was like the professional. So I really was like John, right? Right. And, and by the way, when I would watch Chips, like I would be watching an episode of Chips and the real cops would show up at my house. Come like, on. I'm not even lying to you. It's total. And, I, and they would come in. <laughs> I remember one time the dog was loose, and so the neighbors called the police about our dog being loose. So I let the cop in, and I'll yeah. never forget this cop was the nicest. He was so nice to me. He's yeah. talking to me. He's I'm asking him about stuff on his belt. I mean, yeah. this to me was like, oh, a policeman. He was so nice. My dad comes barreling down the stairs going, get the fuck out of the house. This cop like had the back pedal and like, all right, and he shut the door, and he's like, get your dog. You got to get your dog in. And it was, and I just saw that, and I, as a little kid, I, ended up, I, I thought to myself, my dad's wrong here. <laughs> Like, I mean, who's, what's going on here? Like, who's right and who's wrong? And I didn't get it. So that was my dad's, um, we, that's what drove me to be the, the, the kind of cop that I was because it was just, I didn't understand it. Like, I really looked, so, oh, so what made me become a cop? So I was going to be a private investigator in high school, and I, and I asked my uh, uh, guidance counselor to set up a job shadow with a private investigator. Yeah. And they couldn't find one. So they go, but we found this police officer. It was Kittery, Kittery police officer. This uh, officer Toulouse was his name. And you want to go shadow with him, do a ride along. And I go, you know what? I'll do it because you set it up. I'll go do it. But I did not think that I was really going to become a cop. And when I left that night, that guy's crew, he, watching this guy, he was, he was really professional, great, just out there talking about how, you know, if anything happens, like he's the, you know, he's the one who's going to show up. Like right. And I looked at him like they saved the day, like cops are good. I've yeah. always looked at it through my eyes that way. And um, 
when I got out of there, just that whole idea of serving and being out there and helping people, and he was going on calls and he's watching them. I just watched that and goes, you know what? I think I want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that was kind of uh, that was it. So I went to um, you know but college and where, where are your brothers and where were they in all this? Are you, are you all sitting around watching TV? I mean, you sort of. I mean, did they did they get out of the house because they were older or what? Yeah. Well, the two that were older had kind of left, and yeah. um, the younger one was still there, and things really went downhill. So my aunt brought in two of her kids too so there were really six kids two cousins my you know four of them. were they bad seeds or were they all right um everyone was kind of all right but um two of two of my brothers have been and they're great now but two of my brothers have been arrested uh for resistant arrest they fight with the cops they like to fight cops which i never yeah, well, understood they, this what do you mean they grew they, up with it exactly there you go there you go right so but um my aunt my aunt i remember one day comes home and i'm probably in high school she goes oh my god i kicked that cop right in the nuts and i remember thinking it was like i mean this is these stories like we're all they've all you know my brother uh the cops over. were the enemy. The cops are the enemy, and it was just, and and that was how I uh, I grew up. And then you know, so I I in my own little way tried to tried to change that. You know, but, but it's interesting because of the nature of it being a relatively small town, and everybody knows each other. You know, they the, the cops didn't beat the shit out of your dad. No, they and had they, to. They, you know, no, they, and it, they were sort of like this is the this is the local you know drunk lunatic they, they would have to pepper spray him um like i said you know and uh you know i could remember you know one of the bumping into a cop a lot of times i would bump into the when i became a cop too like i would get calls over the radio we have a warrant of arrest it's for your dad like that's or i'd bump into a guy we, i got your dad for drunk driving he couldn't even get out of the car Do you, you want know, to come deal with feel him? bad that um they had to arrest him but they had to, you know they had to arrest him and, and then you'd be get on the way to and go like all right i'm coming yeah well sometimes yeah sometimes i would get him and when there was a warrant i had another guy you know another deputy go over and you know get him i talked ser- to him i just i would get serve, a, i get annoyed and, you can't serve your dad a warrant i mean i could but it was like i just felt i went over with the guy i just let him take them you know it was like because it just i was you know it, it was i was aggravated with him at that time and and you know i couldn't be a cop I, I, understandably I, <laughs> you don't have to feel bad about that I, in my home in the town of kittery where i now was, was living and went to high school i knew i couldn't be a cop there because i would be dealing with them every day so i got hired at the sheriff's <laughs> office which patrols the york county but the kittery isn't one of their towns because i patrolled the small towns that didn't have their own pd what did your dad say when you so, said you're going to be a cop I mean, it was funny. He didn't go to my graduation, like at the police academy. He's like, "Are there going to be cops there?" You know. I mean, it was just he is a funny guy, and he and I got a lot of I got a lot of humor out of him because right. he, he is a funny guy. Um, so when they they hired me at uh-huh. the county, you have to go before county commissioners. The chief had told me that one of the commissioners brought up the fact that you know his dad is you know this guy, almost like that was going to keep me from getting hired. So I, I found out about that after college. So that kind of stuff, it's like, all right, so imagine here I am a cop, like he's kind of getting in the way of that. And here I am going to be this really good cop. Like, you know, I'd be an asset to the community. And that almost stopped me from doing that. And then when I become a stand-up, the whole George McDonald story we talked about, right? He's doing that. So there was aggravation. As much as I loved my dad, and, I, and he'd see me and be like, Justin, you know, but, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was the annoyance of that. It was, it was definitely aggravating. But so when you become a cop, yeah. You know, wh- how how long b- before he becomes like you know, this homeless drunk? It was pretty immediate because I was 19 and it was, uh, you know, I could remember getting a call um, one night. He was walking over the bridge from Kittery into Portsmouth and he got shot 
with a, a pellet gun. Someone drove by and shot him with a pellet gun. And I remember saying to my partner at the time, I'm like, the only drive-by shooting ever in Maine, and it's my dad. It hits my dad. <laughs> and it's a pellet gun. And it's a gun. pellet gun. And it, to this day, you know who my dad thinks did it? Who? The mob. <laughs> They're using pellet guns. He thinks he was tied up with the mob. He still thinks it was some guy in the mafia. He's telling me because he uh, he was doing the real estate deals and all that stuff. And there was some shady characters. And he did siding, aluminum siding back in the day. He's been so. This, it's sort of like the the way you're framing it. It's sort of like uh, it's it's like Mayberry as dark as Mayberry could get. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. <laughs> it's pellet guns, yeah. and town yeah. drunks, and yes. police scares. Like, there's still an element to it where it's like it's a sad story, but it's not a horror story. No, and it ended well. Thank God. You know what I mean? It, it did. So looking back now, we can laugh. And I got to tell you, just a month ago, we're at yeah. my brother's house for a, a party, and uh, me and my brothers all get around, and we're just talking stories about the growing up and about how we we had big rats in the house. And you my did? dad, yeah, my dad would say, "Well, the good thing is if you have rats, that means you got no mice." You know what I mean? Like that was his <laughs> right. logic. Like, look. So we're going back and forth with all these stories, and my dad, right, laughing the whole time. He's such a great, uh, a great soul. He really is. So he's just laughing at the whole thing, and we're all laughing at. We all love him, and. And then he just goes, he goes, look, let me just say this. And we just stop and look at him. What's he going to say, right? And yeah. what comes in, he literally says, it wasn't as bad as it was. <laughs> and we just bust out laughing. And I go, that should be a title of my book. It's like, it wasn't as bad as it was. And it was like, that's his, and he makes us laugh. And he does. And he's, he really is. A fun, and, and now, I mean, the wall in his house is all me. Like articles. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, he looks like a stalker. So when, okay, so you, you're being the cop. Your dad's in and out of, uh, I mean, you know, if he, if he's 11 years sober, I mean, it's pretty long run. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long run. And, but we thought he would die on the streets. We can't believe it. But what, what what is the process of that? So you're a cop and your dad's this, this homeless drunk and there's nothing you can do. You can't get him into a shelter. You just have, what you can't, there's nothing you can do. It just was the way it was. Right. I think it's like, you know, he, for a while, and I'm not, he lived in my brother's closet, like walk-in closet for a couple of years, but it, he was- For a couple of years? For a couple of years. Did your would, brother know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been great if he didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, he knew. Yeah, he just got a little mattress pad in there and he like literally was living there for a while. So we always offer it to them, like to take him in but at the end of the day if he did he had to get to that point where i want help you know when he went into rehab once and fell off the wagon and then he, he he got back in but everybody would serve him you know in town like they knew him like, oh what, yeah. what, what, was he begging for money and everything he wasn't a beggar hmm. nope he wasn't a beggar but everybody loved him everybody liked him but i could remember in the newspaper like this is the kind of stuff that you know, as his kid, that you'd you'd see. They would put there was an article in the paper one day. There was a line of fans waiting for Jimmy Buffett tickets, and they called uh, you know Parrotheads, I think, yeah. right? Jimmy yeah. Buffett fans, Parrotheads. And yeah. there's my dad with his you know homeless bag. He's you know he's been on the newspaper. He's you know cover of the paper about homeless stories and yeah. stuff. He's got this bag on his back like this, and it, the article said something like the headline was something like Parrotheads get tips from a pro. Like, on how to, like, camp outside. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? They basically were calling my dad homeless in the local paper. Right. right. Like, that kind of stuff. I, you know what I mean? It's like, you know. Town drunk. Yeah, Classic. It was, yeah, and I remember when my sister-in-law uh, was in town. We were out drinking in Portsmouth one night. It was about 12.30, 1 in the morning, and there's my dad sitting on a bench. No shirt, just his pants on, a gallon of milk, and like a scarf. <laughs> and he's just like this. He's like, Justin! And he comes out, he goes, ah, and he comes, you know, happy go, happy drunk, right? Yeah. Hey, John, you wise ass. He'd always say this little wise ass thing yeah. to me. And my, my sister-in-law literally goes, who's that? And my wife was like, that's Justin's father. <laughs> like, it was, I mean, he was that guy that you would see <laughs> just out. I mean, he lived in the 
pay toilet at the parking garage. You probably parked in that garage. Oh my god! When you went to, he lived in the pay toilet. When there. I played the speakeasy. <laughs> or, uh, no, or no, no, that's the other end of town. Oh no! Oh, you when mean you, when I did the, the Portsmouth Ports- Music Hall? It's right around the corner from the Portsmouth. He Music lived in Hall. the garage. He lived in the pay toilet. Of but that I mean, garage. how does is there is there some element of of heartbreak to all of it? I mean, like I mean, I guess he, he was a a town drunk and he was a happy drunk and he was a character. But I mean, it must have been sad as hell for you know. Or do you just get over that and you just sort of you know? It? Look. I mean, I've gone to see therapists, you know, in 2010 or 11, I went to see the first one. I mean, there's definitely stuff underneath with what's gone on in my life that I know is there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's why I became a comedian, right? It's humor. We deal with it with humor. We laugh at it. When um, did you decide kinda, to do that? Um, I had been a cop for a few years, and it was just something I just wanted to try. Now, what happened to your aunt? She's still around. Oh. Um, but she, they just kind of, you know, they broke it did off. Did she get it, sober? Um. She, uh, yeah, she, she's older now. So it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think she's drinking anymore now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she's drinking anymore either. Is the family still close to some degree? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're close. They don't talk. The, oh, you're old you man. And yeah, they, yeah. They don't talk. But like, just, I just saw her and probably talked to her for five minutes, which is the most I've talked to her in about five years. Actually, oh yeah. Just a couple weeks ago. But everyone's, you know, like your old man's got a relationship with your kids and your oh, brother's kids. Yeah. And- my dad now is like, I mean, you know, my kids who are now nine and 11 years old don't know him any different. Yeah. He shows up every, their birthday, every birthday with balloons. Oh, and my yeah. dad, and when my dad was first in rehab for the first time, yeah. he had an index card and he said to me, I went and visited him at rehab and he had, he wanted to know my date of birth and my phone number. Yeah. Like, and, like, and he had me and all my brothers, and he wrote it all in an index card. Like, I mean, you talk about the birthday. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because he didn't even, and, and in my dad, in this funny way, people will ask, oh, how old are your kids now? And he'll say, ah, oh, it's hard to keep track. It changes every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's his com- That's right. his line, you know? Um, but uh, but so now my kids, he shows up, and he's got the balloons, and he, he used to be a karate, black belt in karate, my dad. Really? Yeah, so he teaches... Um, he teaches my kids now karate lessons. He'll come over and like, yeah. No kidding. Mm. How old is he? He's 77 now. Wow. Yeah. Good shape. He walks every day. He'll still credit, he'll credit the fact that he walks. He's always walked. Even when he was drunk, he was walking. Well, he was homeless. Walking. <laughs> he was homeless. What else he going to do? But he made sure he got his walk in and he, you know, one night he was hit by a, he was going to the bathroom on the side of the road. He was hit by a snow plow. What? Like that, that's, he ended up in the hospital. Like, yeah, that, that was part of what got him sober was he almost died he punctured a lung he got hit he, by a snowplow yeah he got hit by a snowplow um he was actually and i'm not making this up he was going to he was taking a dump on the side of the road and a snowplow came and knocked him over an embankment <laughs> and i <laughs> what no i um and uh I can't take it he no he, he's and he even says no he didn't actually get hurt that time he didn't get hurt that bad because i said to him i go well, you all right he goes yeah i was wearing my puffy coat or something he said he, right but he he fell he got hit by another and hit a guardrail punctured. he was walking around with a punctured lung for like a day and a half and the doctor said if you didn't get in here today you'd be dead and uh so that's, that's that was the first time i think and um you know and yeah we thought he was gonna die it was it's amazing do you think like do you think that like you're being a cop and you're trying to resolve this? I mean, obviously, it's antithetical. It's like it is the literally the opposite of your father, right? I mean, you, you, I mean, he, obviously, he didn't look at you as the enemy, but it, you know, and, and he, he had a relationship with the cops. No matter how much it was, it it almost in my mind it plays out like this comedy. 
that it was just the way the dynamic was and they knew him and he knew them and this is the way it's going to be you know, you see this stuff on like cop shows like yeah. that that guy it's this guy again so you become this thing that you know, completely separates you and defines you as your own person uh, you know and is completely the opposite of your father and somehow or another that didn't quite help you process you know whatever it is that you were trying to process and then at some point you decide, well, comedy, like, you know, like, is it possible? Do you ever think of it in those terms? Like, well, I got to tell you, um, you know, I could remember, and I don't know if I've ever said this or if my dad uh, remembers, I could remember my dad watching The Tonight Show one night yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember him making a comment as to, uh, you know, I could be, I, you know, I could have done this or something like that. I could have done this. Right. right. And I remember it being like, uh, and I'm like, what? Like, like be in show business. Like, be like, a, you know, I think he's Carson, a funny guy. Funny Carson guy. was doing his monologue, I right. think. And I think right. that's, and I don't know if he, he remembers that, but I always remembered that. And, and here I am thinking, well, you might have, but look at, you know, you're drinking. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever you, and there was always a side of me that, you know, back in junior high was the first time I thought I might want to be a stand up. Yeah. I just didn't know how to do it. Right. right. It's just, how do you make a living doing that? But I remember that that's the first time I what, had the what, thought. Why? Be, who'd you like? Like, what was it that made you think? Um, well, Carlin and Eddie yeah. Murphy were sure. like the, you know, the, yeah. the big ones. Yeah. You know, that was a little older, more like in high school. Right. Like uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and, but I could just remember um, thinking funny things. Like, if I would hear something on the monologue, I remember thinking, oh, I had that thought. Right. Like, that's when I thought I had a mind for it. Right. You know. So how do you quit being a cop? I While I was still a cop. I went down and did stitches one night, did an open mic. That was, oh yeah, that first yep. time. And yeah. I drove down and just tried it. And then, uh, you know, and then I just went back, tried it again. And it was, was it, were your jokes about being a cop? They weren't at that point. First time I went down, first time I went down, I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. I just, just me. I didn't want to, if I, you know, bombed. Right. You know, I didn't want, you know, that might've been it. Yeah. But it actually went surprisingly well. So when I went back, I signed up again to do it like four or five, six months Who was later. hosting? You remember who was hosting? I think it was uh, Vinny Favorito. Yeah, Vinny Favorito. Yeah. And so the second time I went back, I told everybody because I thought it went pretty he well. Was, he was probably nervous you were a cop. 40, I don't know if he knew. Oh. I don't know if he knew. Oh. So, But he should have been, right? <laughs> so, Is he still around? Uh, he's back uh, yeah. in the Boston area. Yeah. yeah, back in the Boston area. Huh. So, so the second time I go back, I tell if like 40 people come down. They come down and try, right? I went up. I had this suit coat on. I'll never forget. I had a sport coat on, and I left the tag on because I was going to try to work it into my act. Yeah. Little, I left the price taggy thing, that yeah. thing you're supposed to take off on. So I get up there. I start in, and it's not going well. Right. So I start dropping F-bombs. Like yeah. every every other, every fifth word is an F-bomb. Yeah. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm bombing. Okay. Yeah. And I know 40 people are there. I'm bombing. Okay. Vinny, you know, it's a crutch to use the F word, right? So I'm, I'm throwing it out everywhere. Vinny comes up, grabs the mic, and he says, hey, Justin. He's like, next time, why don't you try throwing a few fucks in there? Maybe that'll get them, right? <laughs> Huge laugh, <laughs> right? And I, and, and I hadn't even, I'm still on stage. And he goes, what's with the, what's with the, he points out my little tag on the coat. He goes, what's with the, what's with the coat there, right? So, and then, so I try to like spin it. He's got a giggles jacket on. Remember yeah. they had the giggles, the sure. Knicks jackets, the giggles jacket? Yeah. And I go, oh, what's this coat? Giggles. And he just goes, yeah, it's a place where I get paid to tell jokes. Ooh. Another big laugh. I walked off. That was it. That was my second time. Uh. And I almost, Mark, felt, I can't go out like that. 
And I think that's what motivated me to go back. Oh, so here I am in the back of the room, and I know other comedians have a very similar story because I've since found this. So I'm in the back of the room. A guy goes on next, who I saw the last time I was there, does the exact same jokes he did, and I was like, you can do that? I did a whole new set my second time. I didn't know that I could repeat oh, material. yeah. So I, I was really like, you can do that? So that was... That's a, yeah, that's so that a, was it. And that, now that I knew that I could do that... Yeah, work oh, on it. Let yeah. me just go do the best of the first three. Yeah. You know, mix it with if I had anything funny in the second three. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's how it kind of started. I guess that is a big moment where you realize, like, you can just work on these jokes. You're not getting paid. You know, there's nothing, you know, you're just trying to yeah. figure out how to get laughs. So you, that's how it starts. So when did you, when, when, so when did you stop being a cop and when did you start doing the material about being a cop? Um, right around the mid nineties, um, I had gone down to, I, I moved down to Peabody, Mass. I don't know if you know Peabody. I do. I do. I know someone was from Peabody. Gary Goldman's from Peabody. Right. Yeah. yeah Gary yeah. Goldman. So um, I moved to Peabody because my uncle had a place there and I and I was part time still as a cop. I would go up and do shifts. Uh-huh. I would drive up. There was only about an hour and a half right. to drive. So I stayed on as a cop in case the comedy thing didn't kind of work. I could go back. Right. Without having to go to the academy again. I still had my certification. Yeah. So at that time, I started to work in stuff about material, about being a cop. I was getting on almost every night of the week, you know, as much as I could Where? get on. Um, with Nick's yeah. and um, there was uh, the comedy, I think the Comedy Palace was uh-huh. around then or a couple other ones. So I was just hammering away and it's it started to feel good after about a year or so. And uh, the move that got me to New York was... Um, this comedian, a uh, good friend of mine, Al Ducharme. I know Al. Yeah, Al I used du- to. I've done road gigs with Al. He was very funny. Yeah, I've seen him a couple of times, not too long ago. Yeah, he yeah, was very great, funny. Great guy. And yeah, I did a lot of gigs with Al Ducharme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's been doing it for a long time. So and he, he, what he? So he said to me that there was a guy in New York City named Kerry Hoffman who has stand up New York. Yeah, and he's he's a manager and yeah. he's looking for people. Why don't you send him a tape? So yeah. I sent him a tape, yeah. and he called me. He goes, hey, I want you to come down to New York. I want to talk about managing you. Yeah. So that opened up the New York door. At the same time, I started to do um, NACAs. College, the college, yeah. The college yeah. stuff, right? Yep. So I went down to do a NACA. My college A agent, convention. Yeah, a NACA convention, yep. Yeah, so if, you, if, they, if they like you, you can get a year's worth of work out of that shit, right? Yep, you do 20 minutes, and if yeah. the colleges like you, you can get 100 schools right yeah. there. They can right. sign you up. So I had a really good set at this NACA. Um, so it made my agent uh, share uh, mention me to her friend at Don Buckwald down in New York, yeah. uh, Kristen Miller. Yeah, I believe is her name. Yeah, and so Kristen Miller reaches out to me and says, "Hey, I want to uh, I want to come out and see you in New York. Where are you working?" And I go, "Well, I don't live in New York. I'm up in Boston. I'm not working anywhere." He goes, "I'll get you a spot at the comic strip." Okay. So I go, okay. So she comes to see me at the comic strip. So Lucian was there. Yeah. And I had a-, a Hello, real, Justin. Yeah. Well, I had- And I didn't, I didn't even see, know him until after I got off the stage. So yeah. I knew nothing about the place. I knew nothing about how hard it is to get on these places, how hard it is to break in. I do my set for her. And uh, I get off stage and Lucian tells me that if I you know, move down there, I can start putting in for spots. Wow. So, but it helped because I had someone from the industry- Yeah, get you in the spot. Getting me the spot. So- yeah. Then I had a meeting with Kerry Hoffman where he's like, you can start working this club, yeah. Stand Up New York, and he wanted to manage me, but even, and I said, I didn't know yet, you know, I'm still sorting things out, so I got in at that club, and then this is all before I moved down there. And What's then, this, mid-90s? Yeah, this is uh, like 96, 97, like 97, yeah. like 97 now. So you move? So I move, yeah. And that yep. was the beginning. To, and I lived in uh, Astoria, Queens, and that's yeah. where I met you for the first time. Because I was living there? You were, I, I first met you walking down the street. 
on like 30th Avenue or something? I would, one of those, we walk in one day and I met you. And I'm not a happy thinking, oh, time. That's Mark Merritt. Well, it's, you know, it was, you were nice to me. Yeah. You know, you're friendly. That's a good story. You were friendly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you were, you know, hey, what's, you know, but I just remember you were like one of the guys that were there and, yeah. um, you know, Louie and, yeah. and you and uh, Dave Attell. And yeah. you guys were like New York. Yeah. In my mind, you guys right. were like the cool New York guys. Right. You know? Yeah. And so how does it, like, how does it transpire? Because, like, I guess, like, Ruthann, I mean, my thing with Ruthann, that it happened in, like, you know, I didn't get, well, I mean, I had a few deals here and there, but she was still in the racket of getting guys big deals because she got John DeResta, the other cop. I know. She got him his big deal. Yep. So when she wanted to come see me, now I, um, she she wanted to come and see me. Um, I think it was a guy named Josh Pollock. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it was her assistant. Okay. He's so, an actual agent now. I think he still is. Yeah. So he had seen me and said, you got to come see this guy. So she comes down to see me. And at this point, Ruth Ann's coming to see me. Yeah. I had all the New York managers taking me out to lunch, wanting to manage me. What? Cats? Cats. Hoffman? Uh, uh, yes, but- um, Dorfman? Dor- yes, but no, but also um, uh, uh, Becky. 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 Yeah, yeah. Dave Becky. Um, uh, Rose Garden. Rory. Um, yeah. all of, uh, Bruce Hills. Yeah, from Montreal. Was yeah. he managing people? He was managing people. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I'll never forget it because people say, hey, have you done Montreal? Right. And I'm like, no, I had lunch with Bruce Hills. Right. And I was going to be in Montreal every year for the rest of my life. And then I didn't end up going with him. Ever? I didn't end up going with, I've never done Montreal. I still right. haven't. I did Aspen and all that, but sure. I've never gotten, I've never done Montreal. And I don't know if that had something to do with it or not, but I didn't. You can still get in there. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I haven't tried <laughs> all right. in years. Right. But um, so what Ruth Ann told me was, why do you want a manager? Like, why do you want to just, get, I'm going to get you a deal. You yeah. want you want to give away 10, 15% for nothing? Right. And at the time, it sounded pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Why do I need a manager? In hindsight, I wish I would have gone with a manager because then once the deals don't happen, yeah, you could they fall work. through. You go back to the managers. Hey, remember you liked me three years ago? Yeah. You know what I mean? So what happens? So like what? You, you like you, you go and you listen to Ruth Ann and she gets you what? A deal? Mm-hmm. Yep, with uh, I was meeting with a bunch. It's like a bidding war. Oh, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I was meeting with uh, CBS, Warner Brothers. It ended up coming uh, Overbrook, Will Smith's company. I think those were the three that were- It was a cop show? Yeah, it was about me back where I used to work. It was just about my life. The Dark Mayberry show. It wasn't dark, though. Oh. Because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really dark. This guy, Ephraim Seeger, uh, ended up- I picked showrunners. I met with all the showrunners. Yep. Co-wrote it with them. Right. Wrote the pilot. Yep. Um, we ended up going with Warner Brothers, the yeah. studio. Uh-huh. And you know, there's a lot of those politics where apparently, from what I had heard, the head of- Warner Brothers just got a new head of- uh, The guy became the head of Warner Brothers. Yeah. A different guy- and less at CBS, they don't get along. And from what I heard, the last thing they want to do is make one of his shows. You know, this guy comes in, the Warner Brothers, we're going to make one of his shows right away. So there was a little bit of a political thing. Was oh, the- so you got the deal with Warner Brothers, and then all of a sudden they, they, they changed guards, and Moonves doesn't want to have anything to do with that guy. So you got stuck. It's always something. That was a rumor. It's always something. Yeah. So nothing happened. Well, but it didn't I- end well for Moonves, so, you know. <sighs> No, I know. Where's that guy now? No. He's, um, sure and he's I met him. I, you know, fine yeah, somewhere. Know. I'm sure he's got money. Yeah. But uh, all right. So you, so the first deal goes nowhere. You shoot a pilot? What? We didn't shoot the pilot. Only wrote the pilot. Yeah. I've been, I would, I've been there twice, three yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay. So you got no manager, but you got a, like half a million in the bank. More. Uh, no, no. <laughs> 
It was three seventy the yeah. first one. Okay? Well, I, I'm not, wasn't, I wasn't looking for but, numbers, but nope, it's a lot of nope, money for but, doing but nothing. But the reason I'm going to tell you because I know a lot of people at the time were probably like, "Oh, this guy getting the deals," you know, a little jealous or bitter or whatever, upset with. Usually, me. it was a two hundred, two fifty deal. But it was what you got for those development deals yeah, if you weren't a hot and, property. Well, I ended up losing it all. So that's why I, I don't mind having the number because it has a it has a sad ending. But wait, so you out here, you get the deal, and you stay out here after the th- shit goes south. And what do you do? You're doing stand up. I was still in New York. I was oh, you still, never I was, moved. I out didn't here. move to L.A. I hadn't moved to L.A. yet. The first deal goes nowhere. That's when Ruthann gets the idea. Pair me up with John Deresta. Oh, so that's that... the second deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, now has had had his show gone south yet? Or this yes. is his first shot. He had so, a show on UPN that went south. Yes. So he was going to be the new Gleason, and that didn't. Yes. It didn't happen. It didn't. Yeah, UPN. A lot of billboards. Think, yep. Yeah. A lot of stuff. They, yeah. they, they must have shot a few. Would they do twelve or something? Oh, I I, I think he might have got a season. Uh huh. Yeah. Twenty episodes. So now he's down and out. You're both Ruth Ann clients. You're both cops. So of course Ruth Ann. You know where the thing is, Ruth Ann. I ran into her recently. I was at WME, and she came to see me do something. And she had been at. Uh, ICM, and and it, it was weird because she, you know, we went out to lunch, and I knew it had to be about something. We caught up, but I really hadn't seen her. I didn't know what she was up to, and she talked me into, uh, you know, going with ICM. And I was at WME, but I was a little, uh, you know, I wasn't happy, and that was what she she talked me into going with ICM, which I did. I'm with the, the guy, one of the big guys over there, and then she quit. Oh, well, she's not doing it anymore? I don't know what she's doing. She, I think she went into the other side, development. I don't know. Wow. But I, I was the last thing she did. She, she, she pulls me away. She got me twice. <laughs> Fucking Ruth Ann. Well, 30 years apart. I mean, I'm, I'm very fond of her. I have such fond memories because she changed my life at that time. No, no. She, she believed in me. And she, she, like, did, and she was going to bat for me. And She changed everyone's but, life. But I there mean, was one thing that she did, too, that I wish she hadn't done, what? which would be the third year. We'll get to that if you want me to go back to the second year with DeRester. Well, yeah, what happened with that? So, Dure- so. so we, uh, John and I, yeah. now we have this show. Uh, I moved down from Maine to become a cop. I'm the, you know, you know the kind of cop I am. I'm the good cop. I want right. to change the world. I right. want to change everyone's opinion of yeah. law enforcement, you know, one person at a time. Yeah. Um, John is the bitter you know, doesn't even want the job, wants to get hurt on the job so he can collect pension, right, just right. get out of doesn't want to eat in public, doesn't want the public to see him. It's an odd couple, right? It's that's But he's the not show. he's not an immoral cop, he's just a guy that he's wants out. He's not immoral, he wants out. Yeah. yeah, he wants out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we have to pick a showrunner. And we ended up picking uh Alan Kirschenbaum. Oh, oh yeah, I know Alan. Yeah, Alan. He did that Anthony Clark show. He's passed away. He did. Who was his he, dad? He was uh, Freddie, Freddie Roman's son, right? Freddie, he yeah, he killed Roman's himself, son. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Nice and guy though. A nice guy, and and uh, we write it. We pick it. We pick Alan. We all write it together. Yeah. The three of us. We right. co-write it. Yeah. And CBS says, um, you know, the people at because this deal was right with CBS. The quote, I'll never forget it because you don't forget these things. They're like, you know, this is our favorite show this year. We just want to let you know this is our favorite show. Yeah. And I didn't get that the first year. Sure. Like I never heard that. Just go, just we just want to you know this. So I'm thinking, article in Variety. On paper. This could be it. Yeah. Or you, this, you hadn't shot anything yet. Hadn't shot anything yet. Right. Okay. So we're just waiting for Les to read it. You yeah, know what I mean? Because I right. haven't got the Les yet. Yeah. In the trades, we see that Alan Kirschenbaum sells a show to CBS called Yes, Dear. It was the same year. Same year that he was doing it. We didn't know he was doing another show with CBS at uh-huh. the time. John and I were both like, uh, that's yeah. probably not good. Yeah. That's probably not good. So we get a call, you know, hey, yeah, you know, the show I'm doing, but you know what? 
if anything happens with this show, if it doesn't make it, doesn't cast, we, we want to make yours. They held us longer. They held us a little bit longer just in case to give them time to see what happens with Yistir. This is how close this one got to getting made. Long story short, Yistir stays on. Rest history. Our show, nothing ever happens with our show. Show business is the worst. So, But I, I got a story that um, you mentioned Alan Kershaw. Yeah. So that pilot called The Finest sat in my brother's. I was in L.A., so my brother had boxes for me that he was keeping in his old house. Yeah. He calls me up. This is in 2012. He says, hey, I got some old boxes here. He says, uh, "Do you want to come over and get you know get rid of this stuff? Um, you know, because I, I you know I don't want to. I'm moving. I'm selling the house yeah. or whatever. So he drops the boxes off. I open up the box and right there's the pilot, the finest that we wrote, right uh, with Kirschenbaum. With Kirschenbaum. Yeah. I read it. I'm just sitting there in my driveway. Yeah, just reading it. And I'm like, man, that's a pretty good. Still holds up. It's a pretty good show, <laughs> yeah. right? It's just you know, I put it down the next day. John DeRestra, I haven't talked to in five years. I have not talked to John in five years before this. Dude, yeah. Calls me up. He goes, did you hear Alan Kirschenbaum just killed himself? Yeah. It was the next day. I hadn't thought or seen that pilot in 12 years. I had just read it. Yeah. And that, it was so free. But yeah, so sad. Weird. So sad. And he was yeah. 51. I know. And I, I'm I, like, I, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know. He was yeah. 51 and he had you know, all the money in the world. And, yeah. I know. That just goes to show. So, um, so okay. So you're two down. I'm two down. Ugh. Now. But you made money on that second one too. Yep. So you saved some money. I, I had some money. Are you in the married bank. at the point yet? Nope. Yeah. But still with with my girlfriend, who's yeah. my now wife. Right. She's my wife. So I'm at Dangerfields. So you never went to LA. You're still in New York. You're at Dangerfields. I'm still in New York. I'm yeah. in Dangerfields. There's a guy there that's a waiter. Yeah. It's a part time stockbroker. Yeah. 1999. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tells me he goes, hey man, I'm you know I do this on the side. Stock market's going nuts. If you remember '99, yeah. if you were in it or at all, or stock market's going nuts. He no, goes, why did, don't you I give, didn't have any money. In give me some. I did. You know what? I wish I didn't yeah. because this is where the story goes from the best thing to happen to me with those deals, and it was the worst. And in hindsight, I wish I never got the deals. Right. So I see this guy. He t- I give him ten grand. Mm. He doubles it in like two weeks. Right. Then I give him fifty grand. He doubles that. Yeah. I'm giving, I give him more. He doubles that. Yeah. He's like, on paper, Mark, I am like, he's, I'll never forget the quote he said to me. He goes, I'm going to have you at a million dollars by the end of the year. Yeah. Right? I'm going to have a yeah. million dollars by the end of the year. Right? This is the waiter. This is the waiter. Cut to the market crashes, right? The big crash of two, is it 2000. It was 2000. Big crash of 2000. I didn't realize that I had I'd kept like a hundred grand in cash. Yeah, hundred grand was in mutual funds, but didn't realize those were in tech funds. Right. So that was all gone. The I didn't realize that when you sell a stock in less than a year, you have to pay the government capital gains on that fifty percent. So all that every time he was doubling my money, taking out double, 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 I owed the IRS. Yeah. So I had to take. All the money I had, the hundred grand that was yeah. my safety net. Let's be smart. Let's not do anything stupid. I didn't. I had to give all that to the government. So I ended up with $10,000 after <sighs> all of that. And I couldn't even look at it. I was in such depression. And when I tell you I bought a leather jacket, and I'm not lying, I bought a leather jacket, and I was just looking to buy a new car. I had a Honda Civic. Yeah. A tree fell on it. <laughs> so I had a big dent in the front, and I pulled into the shopping center. And what's the, what was the supermarket in Astoria, Queens, off the main drag there? What was that called? Vaughn's? No. No. That's L.A. No, what was Pathmark. It? Yeah, Pathmark. Pathmark. That sounds right. I pull into Pathmark, 
these, yeah. I don't know, I'm, I think they're Mexican or Hispanic, I don't know what that should, but they come up to me and they're like, do I fix your car, fix your car? And I go, I don't, they stuck a drill right into the side of my car and they just right there, they had the putty and everything and they just stuck a drill in sure. it and they popped Pulling it Pulling it out, yeah. I didn't even, they painted it and I sprayed it, it didn't even match or anything, yeah. I threw them a few bucks and I'm like, I gotta get a new car and, but it was like right when it crashed, so I stayed, I kept that car for another two years out of my leather jacket, that was it. And I had 10 grand that literally went into like a retirement thing and that's still- that ten grand, I still have. But yeah, what did you? I mean, what what's the lesson there? Maybe, maybe <sighs> you know, look, stockbrokers are dubious, but the the waiter stockbroker, maybe not the best idea. Mark, yeah. I'm I'm embarrassed to tell the story. <laughs> it's it he. So this guy, yeah. who I hadn't heard from in a few years, all of a sudden out of the blue, yeah. calls me up. He goes, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna say his first name. I'm gonna say his last name." He goes, "Hey, Dan here." I'm like, "Hey, what's up, Dan?" And I'm in like deep depression. He's like, "Got a lot of big things happening. I got some stuff I want to tell you about." And I'm like. What? He's like, there's some companies I really think are going to move. I'm like, Dan, I have no money. Yeah. I go, I put wiped out. He goes, you know, he goes, that was a tough stretch for a lot of people. He goes, I, he goes, I moved back in with my grandmother. I swear <laughs> to God. He goes, I'm, I'm living with my grandmother now. And I'm like, so, and he, and he called and showed up a couple times. And I'm like, and I would joke, you know, I said this as a joke. I said, he went from being my stockbroker to my broke stalker. Yeah. Like he just kept showing, I'm like, what are you, are you, I go, I got nothing left. I go, this guy meeting him. Like ruined my, you know, I didn't buy property. The, I lived in a two and a half family in Astoria, Queens. The one that I, that yeah. I, I could have bought that. Like I, I could have bought that for cash. It's worth like 1.5 million now. So just if I would have bought property, but I uh, didn't. Yeah. So when, when you talk about, um, you know, you know, I, oh, I got this windfall. I was lucky to get it. But when you, I had, my accountant says, there's people jumping out of buildings that yeah. didn't have as bad of a case as you have of right. losing money like that. I still, to this day, write off. Like three grand every year off my losses for the rest of my life. For that, yeah, it's like I got a. I wish my development deal was. You know what? We can't give you much money, but every year you can write three thousand off your taxes for life. I would have been like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> so that's pretty brutal, man. And I, I mean, are you doing comedy through all this? I am, but it was, it was, it was tough. It was a, a depressing. You know, I, I got Jay Leno, and uh, I did Leno for the first time in 2002, which yeah. was my goal when I had set out. If I could do The Tonight Show, that was the one thing. My dad, you know, we used to watch it. Yeah. If I could do The Tonight Show, I was so depressed when I did it. Like, I can't did even you do watch all right? me. It was, I thought it was okay. They had me back, so yeah. it was good, but it wasn't good. I wasn't myself. Right. I watched myself. I, w- I was like, there was this gloom, doom and gloom underneath me yeah. when I watch it. Like, I could see it. And here, this should have been the happiest moment of my life. And I like, and it just literally, I just wasn't even myself. I'm like, who is that guy? I would love to do that material again. No, it was a tough when I, so I moved to LA in 2001. That's so, when you came? Yes, 2001 I came after I had lost. Exactly. So I'm walking around in LA. Oh my having lost. God. So, and that's a, dep- the sun was out and I was not. That's not the time to come. No. You come was, when you get the deal and then you I kind know. of you know, delude yeah, yourself Mark. and you think it's all turned around, but you lost everything and you're like, I'm going to go there. Yes. I know. That's like the it most was... depressing situation I can imagine. Yeah. So you're was... here, you're broke, you're just doing a tonight show, you've had three deals, you're 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 well trodden territory nope. and you're what are you doing? Well well I had I had two deals. The third one was the one I was gonna say about Ruth Ann. Uh. Will Smith's company offered me a deal. They were this was in two thousand. This was in two thousand. That's part of why I gave the guy almost all my money, because I knew I had another one coming from yeah. Will Smith's company. Right. The last minute she says, you know what? I don't think we should take it. It's two hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. She goes, I don't think we should take it. I'm like, really? Yeah, they haven't had a show on yet. They haven't gotten a show on the air. I think it's a bad year. Let's wait a year. 
that I'll never but so I never got that one. So that was there. I never took it because I, I was thinking, all right, let me get this. I'll buy a house. Yeah. With that money. Yeah. I'll have this money in the stock market. Yeah. So that Every, never happened. Everything was going your way, man. So in two thousand, two thousand one. Now Turn when I moved down. there, nine eleven, two thousand one. When you moved to LA. Yes, I moved to LA in January of 2001. And then 9 11. It changed. Well, it just changed the. I I, I had put up my one man show at the HBO workspace. Do you remember that? Sure, I did one man shows there. I've I've had desperate attempts at uh, please help me. Yeah, I I should have called all my shows there. I think I did two one man shows there. Subtitled, please help me. Yeah. Oh. So what? So what happened? So I put that up. I, I think it was September 17th, 2001. It was a week after 9/11. <laughs> That's right. My book came out around 9/11. My first book. Yeah. It was not a good. It's a sad day for everybody. It was a sad day, and I mean, it was we. The mar- I got Aspen that year. I took the one man show. That was the year in Aspen. Nobody's buying, but reality TV had just come. Right. Yeah. Survivor, Big Brother. So that was the that Fear was factor. the change. Fear all of that. Yeah. So it just changed. So now by '02, the writing's on the wall. No money. I blew it. I was all set up to do what I came to do. I, I was a gift, and yeah. I blew it. So that's what I had to live with for years. Yeah, I was, don't think that, but you don't really feel like you blew it. I mean, the show business part, you didn't blow. That's just the nature of show business. I mean, you know, giving your a waiter 200 grand, not a great idea, but I mean, <laughs> but show business is show business. Mark. <laughs> yeah. Giving a waiter to no, giving a waiter two hundred grand was not smart. I had a, you know, I had a trademark. Yeah, Lucky Any. Do you, do you know Lucky Brand Dungarees? Yeah, I have the I have the trademark yeah. Lucky Anywhere, and I sold it to Lucky Brand Dungarees uh-huh. for four thousand dollars. Lucky Anywhere. Lucky Anywhere. It was just a trademark I had. They bought it from me. What what what, what it, made you register? I was going to do clothes. I I had this clothing when was line. This? this was in uh, mid to late nineties. Same time I was doing stand up at a clothing line. I bought the trademark to suck it up. It was like a sports line. Yeah. Bill Parcells wore it. Kurt yeah. Schilling with a bloody sock, like had my hat on before he pitched with the with Did the Did you make money sock. at that? No. No, I didn't make money because I'm, I'm a horrible businessman, obviously. Yeah. It's the, the waiter doing my stock stuff. And the four grand that Lucky gave me for yeah. that trademark, I found out later from a patent attorney, he goes- you only got four grand? He's like, who handled that case? My buddy was a defense attorney. Was he a waiter? I, no, he was, more, <laughs> he was a defense attorney. He just tried to keep me out of jail. I'm like, yeah. I, you know, he does OUIs, you know, DWI. Yeah. And he handled that. So that, like, literally, so that's, when you talk about bad decisions, I've got- Why were you going to go to jail? No, I'm just saying oh. as a defense attorney- Right. He's he's worried. He just is trying wasn't to get his people area. off. He wasn't his right. area, and you know, having a waiter do my stocks and a, a defense attorney handle my patent trademark thing. So I've got, you know what I mean. So those mistakes, that's what haunts me a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm here, Mark. Thanks for having me. <laughs> but wait, telling, so wait. You. Tell me about the day you decided to leave L.A. Oh. <laughs> what? Were you working out here? We yeah, I'm, you know, I, right. Because so you're you know you were on the Tonight Show, you do the improv. I start to pull. Yeah, I was doing. I passed you know uh, the, the funny bone and the improvs to headline. I, I was headlining all those all over oh, yeah. the country. Oh yeah, that's so good. I, I so went, you're working. I went and did the audition, but it was the thing where now I've got to go out of town all the time. You got no other. You are a road comic. I'm a road comic to try to make money now. To buy a house. Do you which, have kids yet? No. no. No kids. So the real estate market here is going up. I'm trying to make the money so I could get a down payment on a house. By around 2005, I had done the Leno in 04 again. I went yeah. back in 04. So by 05, 
we go look at places, it's two bedrooms are $500,000. Here. Right? Here. Yeah. My wife doesn't like it here. Yeah. She's, she's kind of miserable. I what mean, does she, she do? She was working at a staffing agency uh-huh. up in the valley, like in Woodland Hills. Yeah. And uh, she just wanted to be back home. You know, we got married in 04. Mm-hmm. So in 04, at the wedding, I saw the writing. All the friends like, when are you guys coming back? We can't wait till you come back. When do you, you know, that everyone was saying that. And I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. When's because Justin going to grow back. up? Yeah, yeah. when's he going to give up? A, right, when's he going to give up on this comedy That's funny, thing? the fine line between grow up and give up. That's yeah. that's a funny. I never really thought of that. Yeah. When when is he going to grow up? When we even give up? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. So yeah. so okay. When did you give up? I mean, grow up. Um. So by so by this time it was like oh five oh six. We were looking at property. It was so expensive here that we finally um you know went back uh, in oh six and bought a house. And you know what the irony, the sad sick irony was. Another sad sick irony. <sighs> yes. The the I know it's horrible. The 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 house I bought in New Hampshire. Yeah. Was the same price that I could have bought the one I lived in in Astoria, Queens. Yeah, but you got to let it was that shit. I know. I, I'm awful. I, so I, I, went, I didn't go to therapist until I was in 2010, 11. I, I'm actually doing better now, Mark, than I was just even two months ago. But were ago. you just a- uh, Yeah? <laughs> I am. But, but, but I am. were you just a cauldron of resentment and self-pity or- Yeah. Yeah, so your wife was... wants to go back. Mm-hmm. You know, you realize you can't talk her out of it with any anything on paper. There's no, you, you say like, I guess I can do the road gigs from there. Doesn't matter where I am because I'm like, I'm on the road all the time, right? That was her defense. Sure. It's like, if you're going to be gone all the time, I want to be there. And it kind of made sense. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, then I'm out of the never, game. I'm out of the game. Yeah. So I moved back in 06. And I got to tell you, the first three or four years were good. And the fact I had a lot of stuff that I parlayed. I got a half hour Comedy Central special yeah. while living there. Right. They get a one hour. Right. Um, I did the Blue Collar Tour, Next Gen. I was chosen for that. And yeah. I had a deal with Comedy Central. Who else show. was on that? Um, that was uh, Bill Engvall hosted it. Yeah. And then it was uh, Reno Collier. Yeah. John Caparulo. Yeah. Jamie Kaler and myself. What's Caparulo up to? I used to see him all the time. He, you know, I was just in Vegas and he was, uh, he's got a residency there, I guess. Oh, he does? Yeah. And I actually, I did a Showtime special with him, with Rob Gronkowski that's uh, that like a year and a half ago. He was on that. He was uh-huh. picked to do that. Okay. Yeah. So I just saw him. Oh, so he's out yeah, there doing it. A year it. and a half ago, yeah. You never know what guys are up to, but there's so much to do. All right, so you get that, so it's a good few years, and you're living in New Hampshire. You have a kid? Yeah, first kid in 07. Right away, we got back 06, 07, first Your kid. Your dad got sober. Things are different there. Hadn't been sober yet, because that was 07, so it's been, uh, yeah, just, just shortly after that. Yep, uh-huh. like 09 or something. So that's good. Yeah, so I got the wife, got the kids. Um, You know, I had a few, um, oh, I shot a show, um, about a volunteer fire department that Dennis Leary Apostle saw. Serpico? Serpico, the same time You did Marin my was show, on. yeah. Yeah, so the same time that was on, they, they were, we sold this one to IFC. Uh-huh. So that was all done from New Hampshire. So, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is stay in the game and stay relevant back there, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, the last few years I've been out here pitching with different people and trying to yeah. sell shows. I mean, I've got something now that I'm working on. So I trying to stay relevant out here has been the challenge. But that, uh, it didn't end up getting picked up, but it's like I wrote that pilot. So I've had some stuff happen, but the as every year goes by, it yeah. feels like you're further and further away. That's why to be getting I mean, old. I'm getting old, and that's why I mean to do. We all are. 
dude, to do your podcast is is great for me. I'm just, I'm being completely honest. It's it's relevant. I because I'm looking at the I'm like if I was out here, I'd be doing these podcasts, and I'd yeah. be you know you know I, I, I everybody's was, scrambling, dude. Everyone's scrambling, yeah. But I mean, but you know, you you you're still doing a lot of comedy. You still do all right up there. You turn over an hour every year. What's what's your process? Yeah, that's the and that's the process that stresses me out. Is yeah. the whole you know in order to make decent money, you got to do the theaters. Right. And in order to do the theaters, you got to turn over the material. You can't do the same stuff. You know, this that whole thing. Right. Someone will come see you twice, but if it's the same stuff, they're not going to see you a third time. Right. You know, so that's been the battle. So the battle is there's not places to get on and work during the week. There's no scene. I got an open mic I do every Tuesday. I try to do seven, eight minutes, hope that two of those, two or three of those minutes make it into the weekend. Sure. And then I just try to build my year that way. Yeah. Um, but it's it doesn't feel sustainable. Right. Or it does not feel sustainable. And, I, you know, I just did the Rochester Opera House a few months ago, and um show couldn't have gone better from my end. And after it, I looked bummed out, I guess. And my the guy opens for me, my good friend Jeff, was like, uh, he's like, what's wrong, man? You look bummed out. And I literally, I said to him, I go, what am I going to do next year? Yeah. Like I finally got this stuff to where it needed to be, where it was all working. And now it's like, I've got to, I can't do, you know, a new, I come up with a new closer. I mean, it's, you know, the work that goes no, into I know, it. But so it's just, why? Just because of that one gig or you just played it out? Just, can't you tour well, it? Or I you... do, I do them. I do these same theaters every oh, year, right, same right. time of year. Yeah. So as I do one, now I'm already building for the next time I come back around in next March and do that venue again. I'm yeah. hoping to have, and it's not all new. You know what? I'm starting to do something now where I'm. I'm going to start doing old stuff like at the end, like, yeah. j- just because I can't do it. I can't. Yeah, you need about a year and a half, really. And, and it, you can't turn it over in less than it's a not, year. It's, it's hard. Not, and you feel bad. People come out and, if yeah. they, and it's not ready. Half it's the of worst it's not feeling. ready. It's half baked. And uh, so, I hate that feeling. Yeah. So it's just so so that's kind of the the struggle and what stresses me out now yeah. is I can't sustain this. What am I going to do? So yeah. so that's it. Yeah. But you but you're okay. Uh, family's good. Kids are like, yeah, kids yeah. and wife, and it's like the family. She working. Great. She works. Yeah. yeah, she has to work. I mean, that's you know. But it's okay. Health insurance. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, she'd like to not work, but yeah. so would I. It's nice up there, though, right? Yeah, it's nice, and it's a great place to have a family. Yeah. And it's you know, it's it's once my kids were born, I even stopped doing Vegas because it was the seven nights. I don't really do. I'm home 90% of the time now. I'm trying not to do so many Wednesday to Sundays because you leave on the Wednesday, you're back on the Monday. My kids are at that age where it's- You don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss where it. But that's where you can generate the new shit, though. Yep. That's that's the problem. Right. So that's the battle. It's like, you're on, you miss this. Every week, there's something at school you miss. Oh, it's a play. It's a, you know, it's a this. got to make your choice. Yeah. It's a, this presentation or the science fair. Or we're going to see, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just- But like you're saying about all these guys, you know, like, because I recently talked to Bill uh, Janowitz from uh, Buffalo Tom, the band. And I don't like, you know, I've, I've sort of like changed my my thinking on that. I, I don't know what my skill set really is. And I sort of, you know, lucked out with some persistence and good cosmic timing. But it seems like- uh, you know, if you can live with it, there there is a way to find another life. You know that to either supplement or do. You know what I mean? To like, yeah. Have you thought about uh, uh, applying your skill set to something else alongside of the comedy, or is that just too much of a fucking? I mean, ego, you know what? Ego buster. It is a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there is some of that, right? It's like, what do we want to do? Like, even selling merch. Like, I hate. I sold onesies like years ago. What couple weeks? I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I, I just I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I don't want to stand there. I used to just yeah, boxes of shit. Yeah, You're traveling with yeah. three boxes of shirts. Yeah, and stickers. It's but but that's right after the last set. You yeah. run out there. Hey, 
And then they feel awkward if they don't buy and they walk by you. But that's when you say supplemental income, that could make a difference. That's oh no, right? you, like you know what the best thing is posters are good because they're easy. They're easy to travel with. You sign them, twenty bucks. Ugh, I'm afraid nobody would want one. Oh. <laughs> Just standing there. Yeah, <laughs> poster, poster. Anybody? Yeah. Um, but so have I thought of anything else? I've thought of doing things in the speaking realm. Right. Um, you know, yeah, in yeah. that realm a little bit. You mm-hmm. know. Um, so who knows if that'll happen? Yeah. I mean, cause it seems like, I mean, I tried to do some of that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the best candidate for it, but you know, speak about like, you know, how, you know, my, you know, my journey, you know, but, you know, but it's hard to be, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, on both sides of it where, you know, I'm going to go up and tell them, you know, uh, some sort of success story, but it was not planned, man. It was not know, going, you know, there's know. no, there. I can't give you an A plus B equals your success. No. It's a fucking crapshoot. Right. It's and, a shitty business. And, you know, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? In the back of your head. That's what you're thinking. You almost feel like I'll you're- I'll say it. Yeah. I'll yeah. say it. It's like, you know, you <laughs> yeah, guys can- a great message. Yeah, everyone, everyone can do podcasts, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. you know, don't bank on it. Good yeah. luck. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right. What am I going to say? Yeah. You feel like a little bit like a fraud, right? It's not well, I, from Well, my... I won't do it, which is why yeah. I'm not getting the speaking engagements. I can't, I can't do the fraud thing that well. <laughs> I try no. to be honest about Well, it. with me, I was doing a drug and alcohol and motivational thing. And part of while I'm doing that, I'm like- I blew it. Like I blew my, you know what I mean? Like I don't feel like I should be here. You know, mm-hmm. I, that was a little bit what I had. Really? Going on. Yeah. yeah. The underneath of it. So you're working. You're solvent. I you're am. You're above water. Yeah. Your dad's sober. You got a good relationship with your family, your wife. Yeah, but you're still, something's still stuck in there, huh? I was about to say, you know what, Mark? I never looked at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you should be grateful, yeah, you I fuck. Am, I'm better. I'm better today than uh-huh. I was. I, I started, and I know you've talked about this, a meditation. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. On your podcast. Yeah, before. I haven't done it. Have you done it? You I, do it? Not only have I done it, I can't recommend it more, and I think you were talking with uh, Letterman. Yeah. And you were asking whether you should do it. For me, yeah. where I was, I wasn't sleeping. Every hour on the hour, I was waking up. I'm stressed. The anxiety, beating the shit out of yourself? Beating the shit out of myself. It's the stress. Like all this stuff yeah. I'm telling you. got to come up with this. I can't do it. I can't sustain oh, it. I can't yeah. come up. All of this stuff um, was just really killing me. And I bumped into my buddy, uh, this Boston comedian, uh, Dan Crone. I don't know if you know I know him. Yeah, yeah, he opened for me. Oh, Dan Crone. He's great. Good guy, great yeah. Guy. So he saw me one day at night. And I think I looked like I had been hit by a truck or beat up. I hadn't slept. I told him. And he said to me, he goes, you got to try TM. And I go, and I've heard of it because Stern had talked about it sure. for years. And I'm like, oh, the, to the meditation, transcendental meditation. Yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, changed my life. Huh. He goes, I, he goes, it's 960 bucks. He goes, I would have paid 10 times the money. So wow. for someone you know to say yeah. you would pay 10 times the money, he goes, I did it for insomnia. It's helped my sleeping creatively. So I went and did it just not even six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, I went and did it. Just, oh, it's I new. did the course four days in a row, 90 minutes a day over four days. Yeah. And I do it 20 minutes right when I wake up, 20 minutes in the afternoon. Mark, I haven't needed a nap. I just, it's, it, what it does is your brain gets in this rest state of rest yeah. where it does not get when you're sleeping. Because oh. your brain, when you're sleeping, is all firing on all cylinders. So when you learn how to just shut it down completely, it's yeah. like ch- it's like charging your battery. It's like a recharge. So my energy, my mood, like everything, people, friends, family, my yeah. wife, all have noticed a difference in me. Well, just I can't, since I, can't, I started doing this. So you, I, I, for me, it just was the right thing. And, I, and look, you, you don't get anything for it if you tell someone. It's not like, hey, to mention my name, they'll throw me a hundred bucks. Too it's, bad. It, <laughs> right? You're selling me. Well, I'm telling you, for me- 
it's just I won't live. There's without a lot it. of way to I go with it. it. You don't have to do TM, but like there's a lot of ways to approach meditation. But it's just getting into that place. The thing that TM is, which I didn't understand, yeah. there's it's nothing to do with your breathing. Right. Or every app I have is breathing. Uh-huh. I've, been, I've been meditating for years with the breathing. Oh really? TM, you don't. You <laughs> you say don't... That. He says angrily, <laughs> "The fucking breathing. Enough <laughs> with the breathing. <laughs> no, it's not working. I know the breathing. It's done nothing for me, Mark. So what this is is you ha- you. It's your mind. You think of this mantra in your yeah. mind, and your your breathing almost stops. You know, your everything in your body metabolically goes way, 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 way down, mm. and eventually the mantra disappears, and you have nothing. And then mm. a thought comes up. That's stress getting released. And it, that's the thought. And now you come back up to the circle, top of the circle with the mantra. You go back and you just keep doing that. And you get better and better at getting to the spot where you're like, oh my God, this is it. It feels amazing. So, so where the thoughts don't come. They where just... there's no thought and there's no mantra and your just brain is just shut down. And you think it is so hard to do. I, you, you think, oh, I can just shut my brain no, off. I, 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 you can't do it. No, I know. Well, I'm, fortunately for me, as I get older, I'm forgetting almost everything. <laughs> so I, I, I hope it's not Alzheimer's, but like, it's a little easier to quiet my brain down yeah. because it doesn't seem to give a shit about no, a lot of this stuff that I well, used to. What are you doing in town? Did you do anything but this? I actually was on my way out here for uh, this other meeting, this other show. I'm trying to, and it yeah. actually fell fell apart. Um, it's turned into Today? a conference call. Yeah, it's turned into a conference call now. So you um, flew out for a meeting, and now it's a conference. Yeah, God yeah. Damn, so, I don't fucking miss that thing. Well, flying, like when you come in from from New York for auditions know, and shit. I know, I know, I know. It's kind, but I'm I'm happy to do it. Trust me. Yeah, but did you meditate? Oh, I meditate. That's just it. See, I'm <laughs> yeah. a different person, Mark. If I did this two months ago, I would be like, oh, it sucks. <laughs> Well, it's good to see you. Thank you and so yeah, much, I'm, man. I'm glad that uh, at least mentally you're doing okay. You're doing better. I'm happy that your dad's sober. That's a that's a hell of a story. Yeah, it is. I, you know, and I always thought, Mark, that you know, I, you always thought, think you want your parents to be proud of you, but I yeah. think what I really wanted was to be proud of my dad. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's what I've realized, like in life, and it's like I couldn't be prouder of him. So, oh man, um, that's yeah. that's great. Got a happy ending. All right, thanks, man. Thanks, Mark. Wild story, right? Right? I remember when, like, those outros coming out of an interview where I'm clearly back where we started. I was so worried about the transition, and I wanted to fool you guys. Like, it was seamless. Like, the guy just left, and at some point I'm like, I don't, they're not, that doesn't matter. Justin McKinney, uh, the new special Parentally Challenged on Amazon Prime, iTunes. You can go to justinmckinney.com. Great story, though, right? You know what this is? That's the sound of my mustache coming back. I'm rubbing the beginning of a mustache on the mic. It's coming back, people. It's coming back. The stash is coming back. Sortatrust.com and uh, WTFPod.com slash tour. And now I'm going to play, at first, two chords. And then I'm going to add a chord. And then maybe one other chord. And it's going to have an echo on it. And then I'm going to stop playing guitar. (laughs) 